How many dates do I have to go on to find someone normal? I'm just so tired of feeling this way. What do you think I should do? My name is Laura. I'm a dating and relationship therapist and your host of Emotionally Available. Together, we are about to embark on a spiritual journey to unpack modern dating culture, relational patterns, and mental health. Let's get into it. All right, guys, this episode features the first guest of season two, and I could not possibly think of a better human to kick things off with than Cameron Rosin. Cam is a registered nurse and plant medicine educator, and to his fiance, Brooke, he's known as the Daily Dolly Llama. All of this is going to make so much sense as you move through the episode because it's jam-packed with conversations around expansion. It's quite literally an auditory version of cognitive behavioral therapy mixed with psychedelics. If we could package up the expansive properties of psychoactives and deliver it in a family-friendly way that preserves the authenticity of unrestricted thought, this episode is it. So get ready to shift your mind from a perspective of scarcity to abundance, because together, Cam and I will plant the seeds for new patterns of thought. All you have to do is listen with an open mind. Let's get into it. Okay, thank you for the introduction. Um, I say it differently every time because I'm not sure how to describe <laughs> myself yet either. <laughs> um, it's a it's a story unfolding, but the story so far has been one of curiosity and um, science and then through science, discovering spirituality and these other uh, higher realms, let's just say. And a lot of my life and my curiosity and my experience has been mapping out my own little version of reality, trying to draw the correlations between this ancient philosophical wisdom and then what neuroscience says today, which is basically the same thing. Yep. We're just rehashing information always, but saying it differently. So it seems new. Oh, and we're going to have exciting. so much fun today. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, there are definitely like content creation in this online space is such a unique world, right? Because there are so many different types of creators out there but there are not so many unique minds, right? And your page, you really share what's happening in your mind. And I love that. And so I want you to kind of talk a little bit about what you mean when you say we're just recreating it, right? We're literally recreating the script, same text, different font, right? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Like, <clears throat> I think that it comes down to our relationship with what we know, because we know a lot right like we know that cold showers are good for us and we know that acceptance is is apparently good for us and surrender but these things that we know they're only as good as how we know them and yep. why we know them and so it's like we focus on what we know but that's just the tip of this iceberg the rest of it is our relationship to what we know and i think that people are in this this desperate search for more information. Like I need to figure out what to do next and how to do it and why I should be doing it. I'm like, you already got the information. <laughs> I feel like anxious you, you with it. you just saying that. <laughs> <laughs> you got it all. You got everything you need. It's kind of focusing on, well, how do I know this? What is my relationship to this? I think I was thinking about this in relation to uh, exercise last night. Like people, a lot of people don't have a good relationship with exercise because of the, uh, the, the pathway of perception of exercise might be one of shame or guilt. And yeah. so it's like, we know it's, that it's good to exercise, but I'm perceiving it through shame, which is resistance and avoidance. Whereas yeah. like, how can we recognize that that shame and guilt is there and also recognize that we are shapeshifters and the way that we change reality is by changing how we feel about reality rather than yeah. just adding more information to the picture. And so if we can look at exercise, not as exercise, exercise and oh you got to do it because it's good for you <laughs> we do it because it makes us feel good not because it's good yeah. for us the the good for us is just a a side effect of having fun and finding what feels good and inviting openness and a, a willingness to to play like yeah. if we can change the way that we're perceiving what we know we change our relationship to it to one of empowerment rather than i gotta be i should be i need to be it's like fuck that noise <laughs> do it, do it feels good. I love that you use the word play because I think as adults, we tend to really shy away from that. And one of the, the 
biggest insights. I just spent four months for context in South America. Um, it was the best four months of my life. And it's not the first time I've just jumped ship, left the country and spent four months in another country. Uh, so my friends, my family, my circle is pretty used to this at this point. But I had this realization while I was in South America, because it was one of the most unique trips that I've ever taken by myself. Um, and I was completely immersed in nature and just like frolicking in the woods in Patagonia with my dog and jumping like a kid, right? Like a kid mm. on a playground and playing and really tapping into those parts of me that I have pushed aside, right? Because society told me it's weird because society told me it's not okay. And yet it felt good. And so I'm sitting at that crossroad as a therapist, right? Oh, I'm tapping into my body. I'm noticing this feels really good for me, but then also have this conscious slew of thoughts that are coming up about everything everyone has fed me for all of these years of my life. Mm, mm, mm. It's like we become conditioned and take on the shape of the society around us and, and the shape of those concepts and constructs. But going to the idea of play, it's, first of all, it's like, it's how we give that inner child a voice and outlet. It's yeah. like, Hey, you still are here. I recognize that this is how I bring you to the surface so that you can be, and you can see what I see and you can form this new relationship with reality too. I'm making you feel seen and heard because we're not just the age that we are. We're every age we've ever been and until we can really cater to the needs of that child that is still there and you know access that that realm of imagination that realm of theta and possibility and taking new shapes like as a child you could look out your window and you can imagine you know dragons flying across the sky and floating ships and it's like this it's real it's yeah. real but then you were to tell an adult that they'd be like, well, no, that's not how reality works. Reality works like this. It's like our job is to unlearn how we think reality works so that yes. we can adopt this new position. And, you know, our reality kind of shapes itself around whatever is within our awareness. And the beautiful thing about play and just making shapes with your body, making yeah. different shapes, unique movements, things that are that are less right angle less conformed and more fluid and intuitive your mind then takes the shape of those new shapes and that changes our state of consciousness love that you're bringing consciousness into this as well it, you're reminding me also you know i had mentioned in the beginning of this episode about the mind and how i'm so drawn to such unique minds and it's making me think with all of this inner child talk as well. Like I was that kid at school sitting in the corner, like talking about philosophy at like 13 years old, right? I was the kid going to these open mic nights and like unpacking Nietzsche with friends before I even really <laughs> knew what philosophy and psychology were. And it's really just the openness and the curiosity that children feel and this area really allows that to grow and to blossom. And I love that, right? And it's it's so hard to tap into that in this modern world that we live in, where everyone's saying, do this, do that, work your nine to five, right? I just told you I work 11 to six and I'm thriving, right? I'm thriving because I have time to fulfill that inner child who was pushed so far away and so far under. Mm, and I love the, the, the paradox of it is that by steering away from the capitalistic productive mentality and engaging more in these just restorative nourishing fun engaging practices the productive output is so much more enhanced because you get oh to go into God. things with with intention and, and you're, you're thoughtful and you're deliberate and that deep work is supported by this internal vibration and and harmony with with what is like in the recent weeks i've really taken this approach where if I feel stressed, like I haven't done enough, like uh, time's running out, like I haven't achieved, I haven't ticked off the boxes, instead of continuing to try and tick off the boxes and just like forcing my way through a day, I will go the other way. And I'll book two yoga classes back to back. And I'll, I'll <laughs> go for a walk. And then I'll sit in the park and I'll just do everything but the work. Yeah. And that restoration, it's like this, this act of quiet, playful rebellion. And yes because I'm changing my state, the, the the domino effect of that is that by not forcing the opportunity, the opportunity comes to you. Yeah. 
I'm thinking also of a kid like staying home from school, right? And faking sick. And all of a sudden the next day, they're so excited to go back to school and they want to see their friends and participate in class, right? Because they needed that break. And that's the body sending a signal to you. Slow down. Mm-hmm. Slow down. I love slow that. Down. And like slowing down is an act of rebellion these days. Yeah. Yep. Oh my gosh. In this society that we live in. Absolutely. And then here, um, here I come in as a therapist saying, let's just take a moment. Let's just sit and hit. how does this feel for you? Right. And everyone I think gets so alarmed because we're, we're socialized to not exist in the body. Right. And so all of a sudden mm, you start to mm-hmm. reconnect to the mind body connection and everyone starts to freak out. Right. What is this? I've been so dissociated. I've been so disconnected for so long that now being in my body for a single day feels so exhausting because I have so much sensory output coming in and I don't necessarily know how to deal with it or manage it. Mm, mm, that the, the, the sensitivity of that primed nervous system is, is immense. And, you know, it's like we, our brain is not just in our head our brain stretches all the way through our body with this yeah. nervous system and so when we stretch our body we are really stretching our brain and we think about all of these these neuromuscular junctions and these nerve junctions and these these this the vagus nerve you know when we sit in these strange positions and we're kind of hunched we literally are kinking our brain yeah like this nerve is getting bundled up and it's not transmitting the messages as it should and when they do come through, it's like all at once because yeah. we haven't been mindful of the communication leading up to that. There's been no space for it. And so uh, creating space, it's it's both this kind of meta concept, but also a very physical reality that when we stretch out our body, we create space in the nervous system and space in the mind and the yeah. brain. Do you think people shy away from that meta right? I mean, your whole page is meta, right? My whole career is meta. Do you think people shy away from that? To an extent, you know, it's, it's more challenging to sit in that meta landscape when we have, um, you know, needs that aren't being met and we're concerned about, you know, survival stress. It's like, how am I going to go out and practice loving kindness if I've got to pay these bills? Yeah, that's a good point. And so people don't, but they ultimately need to. It's like practicing these meta concepts and really getting the experiential side of them. That is what is most important because it helps to put the rest of it into perspective. And by, you know, that the experiential side of it's important because again, it's back to that knowing, all right, you know, these things, but how do you know them? What is your pathway of perception? Is it one of just intellectualization or is it one of actual experience and integration? Because you can have an idea come into your mind. But until it's supported by the network of our different, you know, neurological hemispheres, by our nervous system, through just actual raw experience of it, then it's not kind of brought into the greater landscape. It's just like a a star off in some distant constellation. It's like, yeah, I know that thing. It's like, what do you mean? That's just a an idea of a star. There's yep. until it means something, then it still is just a concept. Yep. How do we attach that meaning to it? Because I know exactly what you're describing, right? We've all been there. I'm sure everyone listening can relate to that, where you have this idea, where you have this plan, right? But it feels so far away, almost like you can't quite pursue it yet. So how do we attach that meaning to it? I think um, patience is is one thing that we should have with ourselves. Uh, Often, I find that if an idea doesn't make sense yet, it will one day. Like I'm just waiting for the pieces to kind of settle in and you get some random bit of information or a conversation and just, you know, the way that somebody says something just resonates and that makes that thing make sense all of a sudden. Like you think, you know, something and then you go, oh, wait, there there are multitudes to this. There are layers beyond what I was thinking, (laughs) (laughs) which is like, that's one of the, I think we need to celebrate that feeling of like, oh my God, I had no idea like good job but for I trying buddy you but hit like, that you point know. so many times you I feel that way every day right in my career and I know I in 10 years I'm gonna feel even more like that right I think as humans we always try to know everything that we can possibly know right that's that anxiety trying to over prepare us 
but we're always going to learn something new because we're always evolving as humans and the world around us is always evolving. And so if we're not participating in that evolution, there's always going to be something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that these, um, yeah, these are, these are notions that, again, it's like the, the rehashing of information, you know, whether it's in Hinduism or Buddhism or even, you know, Christianity, Zen Taoism, they all discussed this this notion of not knowing yeah and how the smart man knows everything but the wise man knows nothing and when we drop the notion that we know or that we even need to know we get to then perceive information through this more open awareness where it's not characterized and interpreted through these lenses of the ego or uh, altered perception of shame and guilt and fear and anxiety. It's like how can we, how can we calibrate our our vantage point? You know, dragging shame out of the trenches of the landscape so that it can be viewed with love from that high vantage point. And then that's where I think change is really enabled is not when it's mediated by a shame and guilt, but when it's conducted by love. Because if you can see this self, these selves with love, you can identify a pattern and go, oh. There's a pattern there. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you for serving me. Thank you for getting me here. Now that I'm aware of you, I can lead you forwards. I can lead you onwards. That thank you is so important because that's where all of that self-shame and self-doubt starts to creep in, right? Why didn't I know this earlier? Why didn't I, I could have done better, right? All of that negative self-talk really starts to swoop in there. And that I think is some of the biggest and most impactful work that we do in therapy with clients Mm -hmm. is thank you, right? Thank you for getting me this far. I, I've i literally talked about this on an episode that I recorded earlier today. So my, my audience is going to be sick of hearing the same stories, but I always use this analogy of bringing it back to like hunter-gatherer time, right? The reason that humans exist today is because of anxiety, right? That internal alarm system that's happening inside saying, am I safe? Can I provide for my family? When am I going to get my next meal, right? How am I going to get my next meal? These are all of those anxious thought patterns that protect us and keep us safe. And as humans have evolved into these crazy complex beings that we are now, right? Our anxious thoughts are becoming more complex and they're almost overpowering us, right? But we can say, thank you for getting us this far. And thank you for trying to keep me safe and protecting me. But I've got this one, right? My The self can take care of me now. Yes. And, you know, that, that's where we start to create those forks in the road, these alternative ways of, of, of being. It's like, all right, we, we know a thing. You know, it's like, all right, I'm aware of this pattern, but that doesn't get rid of it. It's like, yes, but are we aware of it through this, this augmented um, awareness through, through shame and guilt? It's like, if you go out into the night and you have a red flashlight, that the landscape, the shape that things take is very different from the blue flashlight. And then that blue flashlight is a totally different character, sensation, energy than the white flashlight. And so it's like that kind of bright, unobstructed light of the white flashlight, that's just open awareness. And you kind of, you see the color again. It hasn't taken on some strange cast. You can see things with clarity. And I think that when we have clarity of perception, and then accuracy of response. That's when we are really kind of in a position to make informed and conscious change. Yeah. Can you break that down a bit further for our listeners? Mm. Clarity of perception. There's a, a, a bit from Anthony DeMello's book, which is uh, awareness, the perils and opportunity of reality. And this one passage says, when the eyes are unobstructed, the result is seen. When the ears are unobstructed, the result is hearing. When the heart is unobstructed, the result is love. And so when we can become aware of the obstructions of our perceptions, the you know inflammatory response from the ego trying to protect, trying to shield us from discomfort, it is like we have these, these filters between us, what we're seeing, and the thing that we're seeing. And so it's like, if we look at perception as this neutral thing, 
this you know awareness being the space in which things emerge between us and the perception of that which has emerged are these these layers of filters and those filters it's like as the light comes in to those filters it it bounces up and down and around and it's triggering different neural pathways and it ends up being this very kind of linear sequential way of seeing something that there's a storyline attached to it the ego gets involved we have our biases both conscious and unconscious we have our beliefs both both conscious and unconscious and that means that we're always kind of viewing something through a very subjective narrative-based interpretation and when we can recognize that what we perceive is not inherently true then we can start to let go and go like well what would this look like if i didn't have anything in the game what if yep. what would this look like if there was this didn't mean anything how could i see this and you know how could i see others how could i see my relationships how could i see my interactions with society and from that place of kind of neutrality being like well maybe this isn't a story maybe this isn't contributing to the narrative we can kind of snip those threads of continuity and with that snipping of those threads we are granted with this realization that everything is just emerging in and of itself at all times, this never ending stream of phenomena of reality coming up. And it is only our storytelling minds that ascribe any type of value to anything. Yeah. And then if you kind of recognize that story generating machine is in place, you snip the threads and go, well, what if this didn't have a story? And when it doesn't have a story, it you you see the unity in all things you see that the randomness of this experience and all of the things that we go through are just this this never-ending stream of reality and when we get that momentary transitionary spotlight of awareness that is unfiltered and unmitigated and unobstructed you see clarity of perception yeah and with that clarity of perception then we can do accuracy of response it's like now that the storyline isn't there I can respond accurately. And the way that I respond is by not taking that personally. Yep. The way that I respond is by actually, I'm going to see the love in this person's actions. I'm going to see the best in what they're trying to do. I'm going to see that they are hurting and that their hurt is being projected onto me, but I don't need to consent to that. I don't need to let it all in. And if we can continually, you know, become aware of the obstructions of our perception and then learn to let those go. And often that process of letting those go, first, we need to recognize those levels of shame and guilt and fear. Those are really significant obstructions of our perception. And we can't let go what we're not aware of. We yeah. have to see that something's there in order to let go of it. Otherwise, if we skip straight to acceptance and surrender, it's like, what are we accepting? What are we surrendering to? We have to go back and forgive and, and love and say, thank you. <laughs> but you're not you're not mine no nope. and don't i don't have to carry you yeah i don't have to carry you like healing really occurs when the story changes yeah you know this is the area this is the aspect of this field that i really love because every time i strip back those filters that you're describing right i'm always brought to this belief of none of this matters none of this is real right is this real <laughs> And that happened for me quite a few times while I was in Patagonia and I'm a dating and relationship therapist, right? My entire account is based around this idea that I'm going to help you build a sustainable relationship. And then here I am on stories driving through a random highway in Patagonia. Nobody's around me. And I'm on my story saying, none of this matters. Nothing that I say to you matters because you are attaching meaning to it, right? Based on your life experiences. And I'm putting these messages out into the world based on my life experiences. And my life experiences don't matter to you, right? And so who's to say that I know what an ideal relationship is that I'm encouraging you to figure out, right? I'm sitting here saying, Think of your ideal person, your ideal relationship. What is that ideal partner? What qualities do they embody? And then I'm also saying, but none of that is real, right? Because we're constantly evolving. And it's it's true, but it's also, you know, the beautiful part is we can we can recognize 
and hold completely opposing truths yeah. and then be equally as true. Like nothing matters and also everything matters. Yeah. But also nothing. Yeah. Like we are adrift. We are adrift in a purposeless void, but also I live a life of purpose. <laughs> I make my own. <laughs> and it's based and on what you, filter you, we're deciding to wear that day, right? Like what yes. filter is relevant in this season of life? And as I move mm -hmm. through into my next season of life, I might put on a different filter, right? I'm walking outside with a blue flashlight this time. And so mm -hmm. now everything that I created with the red flashlight has no meaning to me. And that I think is really difficult for people to accept, right? That maybe something that's really important to me today will not be important to me later on. Mm -hmm. Because we have amnesia, right? Like, <laughs> We forget that we've made it through every have bad a lot day of we've that. ever had. <laughs> it's like, you know, we we, we we survive the trauma, but then, like, we can't get through the healing. It's like, but you survived yep. the the trauma. What do you mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> now you get to heal. This is this should be yep. the fun part. Yeah, but we have yep. amnesia. We we don't like every every period of stress and anxiety that feels like the walls are closing, and they never have. No, like we're all, we we still remain we're still here and reminding ourselves of that that flux of experience and and the temporary nature of it all helps to helps us to alleviate the resistance we have to what is so that when we're in those really high moments we're not like well this is going to be like this forever i better hold on to this and then when we're in the low moments we're not trying to push it away and say no things are not supposed to be like this nothing's supposed to be like anything yeah it's you know, things change depending on where you're standing when you look at them. Yep. And I loved that you mentioned, you know, this is where you get to heal, right? This is the fun part because I do a lot of work with survivors of relational trauma and I run trauma processing groups. And I mean, as someone who went through an abuse of my re relationship myself, I can confidently say as a therapist, I've never sat in an individual or a couple session where I felt triggered or activated to the point where I couldn't self-soothe and calm my own nervous system in that moment. But sitting in these processing groups with other people who have experienced relational abuse, right? And hearing them say some of those same things that I've said in my head over and over again, and I've said out loud to myself over and over again, that is a very unique experience to share with someone. Because when I constantly say things to them, like you experienced the trauma and you survived it, right? I get to feel that too at the same time as I'm reminding them. And it's so interesting to me because nobody realizes that. Everyone mm -hmm. just looks at how difficult it is to move past those triggers, right? Especially those early stages right after the abusive relationship. They find it so difficult to keep going. Right. But you just survived the worst of it. Mm -hmm. You're here. Yep. You're here. And that that process of changing our relationship with where we're at is that that's that's the process. Yep. That's the process. Speaking of relationships, I want to bring my work into this a bit, right? Dating and relationship space. I know I had reached out to you saying, I want some of the neurobiological background of what's going on in these relationships, right? One of the biggest hot topics in the space is attachment. Not sure if you're seeing that as well, but everyone's talking about attachment, right? Suddenly everyone knows what attachment theory is and we're all talking about it and everyone's self-diagnosing. I have an anxious attachment. I have an avoidant attachment right? I want to talk about the neurobiology, what's happening inside when we're going on these first dates, when we're meeting these people and attaching right away, mm -hmm. right? What's happening inside for us? Why are people attaching so quickly? I mean, I, I wonder, there's all, you know, we're, we're also carrying this, this ancient primordial biology that was never used to having so much choice, yeah. right? Like it was, it was quite natural for, for relationships to form very early on because we died early yeah. on, and this, 
we're also, you know, we have these other domains of a, a, a meaning crisis and a purpose crisis and a comfort crisis and a just in an, this kind of deep sense of missing. Like there's there's something missing, a sense of belonging, a sense of place, a sense of purpose. And those those insecurities mean that we're we're always looking for the thing that might make us whole. And yeah. we're we're always coming from this from a position of of need and lack. And I think that 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 scarcity mentality, which is, you know, wired into us, it's not it's not natural for us to have like an abundance mindset. It's a very purposeful and deliberate way of training thinking. And when we are approaching life from a position of lack, we are mediating our interactions through through that position of need. And so in that position of need and scarcity, we are that I think that enables and facilitates attachment because we, we we desire those things to be whole, these things to be fixed. And if we were coming at, you know, relationships and interactions and, and social nourishment from a place of, oh, I already feel full. I feel good. I, I'm yep. happy to meet you. I don't need you, but it's nice to meet you. Yep. It's, it totally changes the dynamic of, of that relationship landscape. Whereas we, we, we desperately need companionship. We need touch. We need nurturing. We need connection above all else is connection. All that we do is for connection. We want to have jobs that we enjoy because we get to connect to ourselves when we are passionate about what we're doing. We should enjoy our movement because we get to connect to this very physical reality and you know experiential sensation of being in a body. When we get to connect with others, we get to connect with ourselves because we only really know ourselves in the context of how we know ourselves through others. Like, you know, this is one of the, the benefits of, of journaling and getting your thoughts out some way, because most of the time we only speak when we are in the presence of somebody else. And so the words only come out when we're with somebody and then they come out mediated via our relationship to that person. Yeah. And so we think we know ourselves, but we've only ever heard ourselves when we're with somebody else. With all and of these filters. the nature of them, the, all of the filters, all of their filters, what yep. you think they think of you and what they think you think of them. Yep. And so all of these dynamics are kind of at play here. And, and it's hard to recognize that in the moment. It's hard to recognize that you're fitting into some narrative in your mind. It's hard to recognize that you are, you know, rhyming with a pattern of the past. Yeah. It's it's not just this attachment in relationships, it's attachment in general. And, you know, Buddhism talks a lot about this. And I talk about Buddhism because it's one of the most practical utilitarian ways of processing reality. Yeah. Like it just is, it's a very utilitarian process of, of gaining resilience and fortitude and a dynamic sense of peace that is not conditional based upon these extraneous factors like to have that sense of peace is not oh i've arranged life so perfectly that there are no problems it's it's this awareness Which everyone's and, after and acceptance that yeah yeah right and you know we can certainly mitigate our problems and we you know not devalidating <laughs> the, the, the realness of that you know, I was back to that dance of duality. It's like, we are everything. Yep. We are one. I am nothing, but God damn it. I got to pay the bills. Right. So we dance, <laughs> we dance between the two. <clears throat> it's, it's not our desires so much that cause us suffering as our attachment to those desires. Yep. It's, you know, attachment is this thing that, that's, that, that places conditions upon our state of being. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm attached to this person because I'm, I'm afraid of the absence. I'm afraid of the loneliness. And so, yeah. so many of these relationships are mediated by fear. I'm afraid of being alone. And so I'll take what I can get. I'll take what this person is, even though, because I'm viewing it through this lens, a, you know, a, a, a red lens and all the red flags just look like flags. Yep. Such a good point. I talk a I lot think- about dating out of conveniency versus dating out of true partnership and desire, right? 
And that's why I talk a lot about identifying that ideal partner, not because you are going to find this ideal, but because you need to be aware of the core values, the qualities that you are looking for in a partner, because otherwise mm. you're not conscious, right? You're not bringing any conscious awareness into the relationship. And it's merely just dating out of conveniency because you have a similar lifestyle because you run in the same circle of friends, right? You're just kind of hanging out and enjoying it with absolutely no consciousness. And then also living in that fear of what if this is gone, right? You are not pursuing an ideal partnership. You're not pursuing a true commitment, someone you have a true connection with because you're so afraid of being alone, right? Of letting go of that convenient relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a, that's such a, such a solid point. The, that, that, that convenience mentality. And, you know, it's not, um, it's not unusual. It makes sense. Like historically we would have been these roaming tribes of nomadic people yes. and your conveniency was the eight people in your village, yep. eight people in your tribe. It's like, well, I get to choose one from eight. Actually, wait, they've already chosen me. I had no choice to begin with. So we have this optionality of existence. Now there are yep. so many options that, that it can almost introduce a sense of scarcity. It's like, I see all these people, but still, I'm alone. How can we change the position through which we view things? Can we introduce like somatic exercises paired with these affirmations that say, I see, I meet good people all the time. Love the EFT. I'm Love sur- it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm surrounded by love and connection at all times. I meet beautiful people everywhere I go. I am secure and safe within my body, within my mind, within my heart. And because of that, I reflect that and I project that and people are attached to that, like, or attracted to that. To have any state of being that we desire be conditional and only accessible via somebody else's presence is ultimately disempowering because it means that we don't have the the little bit of agency and autonomy that we do have, which is being able to modulate how we respond to how we feel. Yep. Like that is the foundation of it is learning how to regulate our nervous systems and using that change of feeling to change how we're thinking and that's via altered perception when we open those doors of perception we can we can you know in the moment adapt our thinking to find the best way to process this moment to process this interaction to process this relationship it's like okay this isn't serving me i find that my my ego really wants to respond my ego's inflamed right now um i can sense that my nervous system is bundled up it's tight my shoulders are stiff like all of this is 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 projecting this kind of unyielding, brittle desperation. But when we become fluid back into our bodies and fluid in our mind and supple in our thoughts, supple in our movements, we can be that dynamic part of the universe that we are rather than this brittle thing that has been kind of thrust into a box. Like a box cannot contain you. Yeah. So many amazing, amazing points going way back to talking about the tribe, right? Someone, I don't remember who it was at this point. Now I feel really sorry for not remembering because I really want to give this person credit, but they had talked about this feeling of longing, right? And how we're longing for that community. We're longing to be a part of something because being ostracized was a death sentence, right? When we're talking about these hunter-gatherer times, if you weren't in the tribe, you were alone. And if you were alone, you weren't capable of taking on whatever else was out there, right? So that was a death sentence. And so thinking about how the nervous system responds to things like rejection, to things like being ostracized, right? I'm immediately thinking about like a middle school cafeteria, right? And having to think about what table am I going to sit at? Am I going to be a part of the group? Am I going to be accepted? And that immediate stress response that we're thrown into, right? Because Mm. not means that you're othered and othered means that you are not safe, right? And how long have we been carrying that for, right? Since the beginning of humanity. That's that's such a significant um, component like that. Because you're right that uh, so many of these fears and attachments and and desperations ultimately come back to a a fear of death. Like I got rejected and we wouldn't think rejection, death, but 
that's because it's not a thinking thing. It's a yep. primordial, ancient response to, oh, no, yep. I can't survive in the wild. I can't survive without the tribe. And, you know, we, we also have this um, this kind of like, not not a self-isolation process, but I'm trying to, I, again, I'm trying to remember now that the author of this quote, and I cannot, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> said that lo- loneliness the pattern. is a tax. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've forgotten more than I'll ever know. Yeah. Um, lo- <laughs> loneliness is a tax you pay for a certain complexity of mind. Oh. And, you know, it's like, and and you know, that's a statement that easily the ego could latch onto that and be like, "Well, I'm <laughs> complex. I'm a, I'm a deep thinker. That's why." Which I'm mine alone. did for a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and mine. I'm like, yeah. Oh, so well, I'm lonely because I'm special. <laughs> You mean I'm unique? What? Yeah, yeah that's what the Cute. ego is. <laughs> we can let the ego have its moment, right? It exists for a reason. Absolutely. And we have to move past. Stroking it. <laughs> Ego's purring right now. <laughs> I can't. And yeah, I think that like we we have this. We do have a, a you know a certain complexity of of experience right now and. We are granted with all of these complex questions and often though the answer is still quite simple like the more complicated the question the answer is still simple it's like i i have all the i'm, I'm so unique I'm, I'm i'm special i'm different i'm all alone what do i do speak yep. express make an intention to connect like we have to take that that agency and autonomy over again and that's where, you know, intention is really powerful for this because intention is, it's getting that subconscious mind on your side. It's helping to get the ego on your side. It's saying, hey, guys, listen, this is what I care about. This is what we're going to do. My intention is to be open. My intention is to take initiative and connect today. This is what I care about. This is what I care about. And then we go throughout our days in that moment where previously you would have seen that person and not introduce yourself, not gone for that thing because it's scary this time you're that that subconscious goes hey remember you're going to connect today you go all right i'll I'll let me go say hi i'm going to introduce myself i'm going to make a friend i'm going to use this voice because we need we need to express yeah without expression the opposite of expression is depression we need to stretch the fascia of our spirit of our mind of our body and if you don't know where the tribe is if you don't know where the voice is then it might be that you are the voice it might be that you have to use it because when you do, you enable other people to use theirs too. And yeah. that is an act of courage. And that courage, when we can tap into that, courage is how we start to elevate ourselves up through those layers of shame and guilt and fear. And courage is a turning point for everything because with courage, you can be open. With yeah. courage, you can take initiative. You can keep taking those steps forward. And a lot of that is using intention to guide how you want to feel rather than letting how you feel determine everything all the time. Yep. And I love that you brought that back to you are the tribe, right? Because you had mentioned earlier that we are attaching so much to other people because we are trying to fill that void of something that's not whole within us. And so I immediately, when you were talking about that thought of an episode of the Almost 30 podcast, I love them. They are so amazing. Um, with an interview with Young Pueblo. He is a poet. He's absolutely amazing. And he was talking about his relationship with his wife. And so they are in love. They've been together for a long time, right? And he said, we could break up tomorrow and I would be okay, right? Because I am whole, because she is whole, because we are two wholes that have joined together because we love each other, right? Not because we need each other. And that for me was so powerful because we've all been through a really difficult breakup. Like, what is that feeling that you get when it's over? It's that gut-wrenching, sitting on the floor, can't eat for two days kind of feeling because I feel absolutely lost inside. And so that for me was so powerful to think about because I was also going through one of those gut-wrenching breakups when I had listened to that episode. And I had thought, holy shit, I have filled all of these voids within myself with these relationships. And I think that's what a lot of my listeners, that's what a lot of my audience on Instagram is resonating with, right? Trying to figure out who am I? What makes me whole? 
right? What are these different parts of me based on all of these different filters, right? That I'm putting on that makes me feel whole in this moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, when we're asking the helpful questions, that's what a lot of this is about. Cause we're never going to get, never going to get a whole answer. If we ask the question, yeah. like, who am I? Well, it's only something that can be experienced because it unfolds in each moment, each experience. And the, the context of new environments and new people bring different versions of ourselves to the surface. And so we've yet to meet the selves that have yet to emerge. Yeah. So if we don't know who we are and that question stretch, stresses us out, how do I want to feel? Yes. How, yes. How do I want to feel. I yes. want to feel safe in a relationship. I want to feel valued. I want to feel secure and I want to feel loved, but I also don't want to feel needed. I don't want to feel distorted. I don't want to feel like my sense of self and my sense of purpose is being taken over by this person's. I don't want to feel like I have nowhere to go and nowhere to run. Yeah. I don't want to feel trapped. I don't want to feel claustrophobic. I want to feel expansive. I want to feel like we're on this journey together. I want to feel like if something happened, you have my back, but I don't want to feel like if your ship goes down, mine does too. So like how to, to bring values into that of this, this, this almost through the selfishness, we get to enable that selflessness and we can't, it's hard to balance those two at the same time because we cannot be hundred percent selfless. We cannot, Yep. We, we serve no purpose. We serve no role. We're just somebody's crutch. Yep. And we also can't be obviously hundred percent selfish because <laughs> it, there's, there's no fun in that. Like this is a, <laughs> this is an act of giving and receiving, giving and receiving, give. It's also give. called narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> yeah, it's also, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> we digress. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I love that, you know, like with, with my, my fiance, our, she's always been more mature than me. And, you know, she's such, she's such the adult. What in, a man in who can admit that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I have, I've uh, certainly come to the, those healthy realizations. Like she, she is an incredible, incredible human being. And yep. um, I, you know, I do what I do, but she sees a totally different version of me than of course, you know, Instagram is ever going to see. Yep. You know, she's, she's like, she calls me the dilly dally llama. She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> incredible name for you wow first of all what an honor to be called that second of all what a right. creative nickname <laughs> it's yeah it's just it's this um <clears throat> you know recognizing when um the more the more aware of our ego we can be the more we can use that awareness to mediate it's it's just constant reactive nature it's like when we have discussions it um a lot actually changed when I started playing with AI and playing with like like chat GPT because in order to get a good response from GPT, you have to give it a good prompt. Right. And this is, you know, providing some background information, providing a question, providing this kind of neutrality so that it can give you the best response. And so it went from, Oh, you said that and it hurt my feelings. It's like, hmm, I noticed that when you said that, my ego really wanted to respond. It really wanted Ooh. to react. Um, I am aware that this could just be my own little uh, inner insecurity right now. And I'm projecting that a little bit. But what do you think? She's like, well, I said that like a total bitch. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. I get that that was maybe not the right way to say it. But also what I said, I think, was still valid. And I'm like, I concur. She's like, it's not annoying. that deep, but... <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. She, she's like, why are you reinventing the wheel? I'm like, this doesn't look like a wheel. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but finding that openness, right? Like it's that when we can change the filter, you know, taking away the red of the ego and like, this is, you've done me wrong. It's like, yeah. how can I see without being so obstructed? And it's really difficult to do that when we, um, it's like, if you can catch the first rise of the ego, get yeah. on top of that one, like breathe down that response. Because if that, you know, if the anger and the madness bubbles to the surface, it's not that we are speaking in anger. It's anger is using our voice yeah. and we lose our power when that happens because anger is force and we are power and power is patience and taking a breath and go, Ooh, I almost lost my voice, but this is my voice now. I still feel that in there. But now I can communicate 
forward rather than it communicating for me. Yep. This is such a good segue into one of the listener questions talking about the ego and talking about the response to stress, right? And that anger that swoops in to try to protect us. So one of the listeners is talking about their partner who's going through temporary life stress um, and as a result is a bit un emotionally unavailable, right? Can't show up in the relationship in the way that they need them to. And so the question is, can you help me understand what is happening for my partner when they're going through this temporary life stress and how can I deal with their emotional unavailability? I think first recognizing that we, we can't expect any one person to meet all of our needs. Yep. And we often do expect that of partners, yep. but they're not there to just be this thing that meets needs. They have their own needs too, and their own dreams and their own ambitions. And because of that, they're going to experience these, these, these transitory states of stress and anxiety. And in those, in those states, reminding ourselves that it is impermanent. This is temporary. And then being impeccable with our words as well. Like we don't get what we don't ask for, yep. but it's also thinking about the way in which we speak things. If we're going to wait until that moment of we're totally at max capacity and we're stressed out and then we communicate our needs, then obviously that's this kind of inflammatory disposition that we presented. Yep. How can we meet our own needs in this time? Because when, when, we, when we feel not good, we don't think very well. Yep. Whereas if we can go, okay, they're stressed, they're dealing with it. I can't expect them to meet my needs. How can I meet my needs today? How can I meet my needs in this moment? How can I go and feel good? Go and engage in those practices and the things that make us feel good. Because then when we get back into the house, when we get back into that relationship, we can look at our partner and go, God, look at how much they're trying. Yeah. I love this person. I love how much how much effort and and dedication they're putting into this. I want to help them. Now I'm in a position to help cater to their needs. And then that person feels validated and seen and valued in general. And we go through these, this, this, this scale where there are times where your partner really needs to step up and, and, and provide for you. And then there are times where the, the dance changes and yeah. we find ourselves cold to that position. And the, in those moments, it's not like, you know, pretending that your needs don't matter. But it's also knowing, hey, I got this. I got these needs. I can I can serve this role for this person in this moment and not devalue myself in the process. It's like maybe this isn't about me. Yeah. And what a difficult concept, right? To set that ego aside and say, this isn't about me. I think that's so important as well. And I, I want to remind everyone listening that the boundaries and the dance are so important, right? If you are a partner is participating in that dance where that 50-50 needle is going 80-20 and then 20-80, right? It's constantly shifting back and forth. That is a healthy relationship, right? Relationships are not 50-50. That needle moves every single day, but it has to move in both directions. That is key. Another is those boundaries, right? If your partner is emotionally unavailable, that's one thing, right? If they're taking care of themselves, if they're focusing on them, if they're prioritizing their needs, their health, their well-being, that's okay. But they cannot hurt yours at the same time. And I think that's where people end up staying stuck in these relationships that are becoming very toxic, right? That's kind of what happened in my last relationship. I felt like I was almost indebted to him because he stood by me during a really difficult time in my life. And there's a difference between standing by someone and contributing to it, right? So mm. if this person is taking their stress out on you, right, and using you as this kind of emotional release, that's not healthy, right? That requires boundaries. And so I think I want to be very, I don't think I want to be clear. I know I want to be very clear to everyone listening, right, who's constantly doubting these types of relationships. Check in with yourself check in with your intuition, check in with how the relationship feels. If you can take care of your needs, come back to the relationship and it feels okay, it feels safe, then that's great, right? If you're constantly wondering, hmm, I don't know if that's really okay for my partner to be doing, start poking holes at it, right? Start unpacking that a bit more with yourself. Mm -hmm. That radical honesty, it goes a long way because we can be radically open with ourselves and radically honest with ourselves and 
there are, you know, sometimes uncomfortable truths that we're confronted with. And we need to be able to witness those truths, bring yep. them to the surface so that we can reflect on them because often we have these these hidden truths that that manifest as something trivial and something seemingly mundane, but those manifestations are just like the leaves on the tree. What are the roots of this thing? Yeah. Like what have I been potentially not seeing? What is what has been obstructing my perception? Yeah. Like this, you know, I, I the the desperation to not be alone shielded me from the fact that I'd be okay alone. Yeah. Like, that that would be the best thing for me. Yeah. Right. That that boundaries do need to be in place. And I think um being mindful and conscious of, of what the intentions are. Like what are this yep. person's intentions? What do they intend to do? What are they intending to do right now? Like is this where is the behavior coming from? Because when you can see the intention behind it, you can see that driving force behind what they're doing. Whereas if we're just focused on the the, the manifestation of behavior without peeking behind that behavior and seeing what's driving it, 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 it again it's like what we know is founded by how we know that thing. What we do is founded by how and why we're doing that thing. If we can understand yeah. the how and the why, that allows us to see the what through those different perspectives. Yeah. And also along with intention as well, looking at are they taking care of themselves, right? If they are doing the best that they can to take care of themselves and they're maybe slipping up every once in a while and then saying things in ways that you don't appreciate, right? That's okay if they're trying their best to take care of themselves. We're all human and we all make mistakes. So I want to create room for that as well. I want to be mindful mm -hmm. of your time because I could literally keep having this conversation for hours. So we have one more listener question to get to. This listener wants to know, can you explain why some people need more affection than their partner and how to deal with that? Interesting. Mm. Such a multi-layered question, mm -hmm. right? Because <laughs> we have we have our love languages, we have the, you know, these these certain dispositions through which we like to express our love and receive our love and rarely do we share the same love language. Yeah. Like I my, I love words of affirmation. I love receiving words of affirmation. That positive reinforcement of what I'm doing, that is the most powerful thing for me. Like, hey, babe, yep. you're doing good. Like, oh, yeah. thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, Brooke likes acts of service and <laughs> she likes gifts. <laughs> you know, she's like, she's like, I just want you to do shit and give me something <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> very easy <laughs> i feel oh my like, God. It's like i feel like your fiance is very straightforward and you're oh, like yeah. hanging out in the meta <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah brooke is 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 extremely um let's say right angled <laughs> I love that. i'm i'm stained glass that. but she's she's right angle i um, love that so like yeah you know recognizing that there are that there are love languages in play um but also that that we i mean that that affection that touch that validation some people need that their love language is that very concrete sensation of direct transference of love and you know we have nervous systems that want to feel secure and safe and touch is a massive part of that if we don't get touch we 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 starve in some capacity and some people more than others like yeah. people have different nutritional needs we yeah. have different chemical needs we have different energetic needs and that nervous yeah. system kind of underlies a lot of that you know it could be looked at as oh this person has is, is insecure but it's like yeah but it's not them that's insecure it's a nervous system that says i need yeah i need to be held i need to be touched i need to be shown through that very sensory avenue that that this is real that we are here this is love and i think the the more that people can really explore the nature of their own needs themselves, the more that they can communicate it in a way that really is effective and enables their partner to act in accordance with that and yep. establish the way that a relationship is. I don't know how many people really sit down and, and look at their relationship. We carry so many conditioned responses and patterns from what you know our family, our community, our society says relationships should be and look like that we rarely question that yep. and say hang on i i don't really like doing this part of the relationship i don't feel good about it and they might say well i don't, I don't like that either like, well 
we don't have right. to do that. <laughs> like we can actually construct this relationship yes. by learning about our own, own needs and then being able to learn how to communicate those effectively, choosing the right times, the right moments and setting up these these communication dates where yep. you go out, you bring your notepad, you have a couple yeah. of questions that you ask once a month and you check and you say, what, um, what did you love most about me this last month? Yes. What is one yes. thing you learned about our relationship this month? What is something that you think you could have done better this month? And it's like this this open ground of neutrality. There's a white flag in the middle. Yeah. So really look at this stuff objectively and make conscious modulations to our behavior from there. Yeah. And set the ego and the emotion aside. I love it. I call it couples check-ins. It's a requirement for all of my couples and couples therapy. Sit down every other week, preferably every week, right? If you're in intensive couples therapy, every other week, sit down, check in. How are we doing? How is our relationship? What are we needing more of, right? I think it's so, so important. But I'm also curious, something came up as well as you were answering that question about our threshold for affection, right? And are we allowing ourselves to enjoy this affection, right? Or, or is our ego getting in the way or is society getting in the way telling us we can't embrace, we can't enjoy this affection? I think ultimately it comes back to, are you present? Mm. Like, what is, is this real? <laughs> yeah, like, are you here or not? <laughs> Yep. Be be here now. Be where you are now. All yep. of that ephemeral societal stuff, it doesn't matter. Yep. What matters is this moment and this 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 connection that we can really enable when we're not thinking about our relationship through the illusion of society's eyes. Like this what matters is what we perceive of this right now and how deeply we can connect. Yep. Can we take off those filters? And we take off those filters. And I think the more the more we can, you know, and being being present, obviously we're inescapably present. You can't escape the present moment, but the depth of the present moment is yep. is where we go. Like the present moment, you can't run, everything is experienced now, but the present moment contains dimensions to it. And the yep. deeper we can go into those dimensions of the here and the now, the less that other stuff matters. It's it's a it's more of a the resolution of connection is enhanced so you can see a clearer picture. You know, that's such an interesting way to put it because you're right, we can't avoid or escape the here and now. And I was even challenging that a bit in my mind as you were talking, saying, well, physically we're present, right? But mentally we can be somewhere else. And yes, that's true. But even in those moments where you are participating in the present moment, is your consciousness going deeper, or is your consciousness just staying level, right? At that subsurface level present mm. moment that we all call being present, right? I'm mm. also going back, oh, so many school references today, right? Sitting at a desk as a kid. You're physically in the classroom, your eyes are forward, you're paying attention, but are you present, right? Are you actually absorbing the depths of what is being taught? Mm. And often no, but <laughs> yes, it's like even even if our mind is, is uh is experiencing the past again or it's predicting the future it's all of that's still occurring in the present moment like yep. the past is now the future is now even like physically present yes inescapably so cognitively consciously even if we are traveling to different dimensions that's still happening now it's yep. it's it's i think that presence that we really talk about within you know within meditation or through the perspective of a practice for mindfulness is um bringing bringing all of those faculties into a harmonious state of presence where yep. the mind body and spirit is actually kind of yeah aligned yeah love that i think that's a beautiful place to end cam i knew this would be such a great idea to invite you on the pod thank you so much for coming if there's one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode, what would that be? Play. Yeah. I love that's that. It. It's the intention of play. Just Go play. Make shapes. Just have fun with it. Just have fun. Just have fun with play. it. You don't gotta, it's not going to be so serious. No, none of it's real, right? That's what I want yeah, everyone exactly. to take away. Yeah. None of it matters. <laughs> but I don't want to send everyone spiraling into yeah. some existential yeah. crisis. So we'll just say play. 
yeah, play. That's what the universe does when nothing matters. It plays. It plays. You know? Weather, right? Oh, mm -hmm. weather plays a lot. Yeah. The ocean. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Birds. I see birds playing all the time. All the They're time. The playful little critters. I love it. Yeah. I always tell people as well, just like watch a dog, right? If you mm -hmm. ever just doubt something, just watch a dog. Yeah. Just watch it play, watch it in. interact with the world. It's like my dog just jumps around, plays with herself. She doesn't care if she's alone. She doesn't care if other dogs don't want to play with her. She's running around the dog park by herself with a giant stick in her mouth, happy as can be, right? She doesn't need to belong yeah. to a group because she doesn't care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Confucius says, be like dog. <laughs> Cam, let us know how to find you. Tell us anything you have coming up on the schedule. All right. Thank you. Um, look, I got uh, my podcast. This might be helpful. And you can hit me up on Instagram at Cameron Rosen. Other than that, that's all for now. Amazing. Well, thank you so yeah. much. You know, you're getting an invite back again sometime in the future. Yeah, so yeah, until really next fun. time, you're so welcome. All right. <laughs>